All right, if you could um, open your Bibles, if you have them, or the passages will be on the screen as we continue our series in the seven deadly sins. <clears throat> and the first verse should be pretty clear as to where we're going today. Proverbs 14:30 says, "A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot." From Genesis chapter 37. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was past, pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Then to verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, where the camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Then from Romans 12, starting at the third verse. For, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having, grace, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our servicing, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're the God who speaks to us. God, we pray that our heart would be brought low, that we would be submitted to your word. 
and to only your word. God, let my words be cast aside and let us hold fast to your word. We ask this, that you might be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Envy, you know, as I've uh, I've moved through each one of these things, um, I keep coming to the next one and saying, man, we've really got a problem with this in our culture. It's almost like this list is pretty accurately descriptive. Um, In in her book, Glittering Vices, uh, Rebecca DeYoung uh, tries to clarify what is the traditional difference in understanding between jealousy and envy. Because they're not exactly the same thing as we talk about them. Um, Envy is sort of the evolutionary jealousy. Jealousy says, I want something like what that person has. I wish I also could have what they have. Envy says, I want what they have, and I do not want them to have it. It is both things. And we, uh, we live in an environment that makes envy the kind of coin of the realm, quite literally, People make a lot of money leveraging this machine of envy. You know, I I watch a lot of sports, a good amount of sports. And when I'm watching soccer, um, there's I don't even notice it anymore. But around the pitch is this LED board with these advertisements that just scroll through constantly. And when my kids especially Hope and Valor, younger kids, they'll sit there and say, what is that? And, you know, I wish they were talking about soccer, but they're not. What is that thing? Why is that light there? And I try to tell them, like, these are advertisements. They're trying to get you to buy something. And they're like, well, are we going to buy something? I'm like, no, I'm not booking a ticket from London to Dubai on Emirates Airline or anything like that. Um, the thing that a lot of advertisement, um, not all, but a lot of advertisement taps into is this propensity to compare, to look at what somebody has that I do not have and to stoke my desire for that thing. And, you know, as I was reading this this chapter on envy from, from Rebecca DeYoung, I was like, I don't think this is actually a problem for me. Um, I don't feel myself looking at other people's stuff or good circumstances or honor or whatever and say, like, I want it and they can't have it. I just sort of, like, want what they have, you know? Um, and then I sat with that a little bit, and I thought, is that really true? I think it is, if you're like me, it is probably often true that you're saying, look, I don't care if they have it, I just want it too. But there are certain people and certain things that other people get that I do, if I pay attention, do actually say, I deserve what they have. And they should not have it, but I should. 
Envy grows out of the seedbed of jealousy. That's the real danger, is that this transition can happen out of our hearts where we can start oftentimes in legitimate places of need and say, like, you know, it would be nice to have a car that ran, right? Uh, but we live in a place and a time where that legitimate felt need is constantly being stoked so that the, the, the legitimate desire becomes, I wish I had something just like what that person had, and just slowly phases into saying, why should they have that, what they have? And it can happen just sort of without your paying attention. And we ought to be clear here. Envy happens not just around possessions. It happens around life circumstances. Why do they get to be married and I do not? Why do they have those children and I do not? Why do they receive honor? Why do people think of them that way when here I am? Why does no one see me? That proverb, as proverbs so often do, just gets right to the heart of the matter just so quickly. And the language that that proverb uses that we looked at in 1430 that says that this peaceful heart brings health fundamentally, but envy rots at your bones is a really helpful way of describing what it is that envy does in this really unseen way. It eats you out from the inside. It just hollows out the structure and integrity of your life. And the passage in Genesis really shows you what envy starts to look like. Uh, Joseph is his dad's favorite son, you know, out of all of them, the 12 of them. Really unhealthy family dynamics. Let's just be very clear about that. There's four women involved. There's 12 kids. Joseph, oh, I mean, Jacob openly favors one. He's got the famous coat, right? People first usually hear about Joseph because his favorite coat. It's translated here as the coat of many colors. The Hebrew is hard to sort of nail down what it's saying. It, it might be saying it's just really colorful. It might also be saying the, the hymns are really big, which is important because that was functionally the wallet. And so what it, it could be saying is either it's this really rich, expensive garment that is publicly favoritism, or it's like Joseph's always got daddy's money, you know. Either way, the other, other guy's hate him. And it doesn't help that Joseph runs his mouth and tells them, you're going to bow down to me, just FYI. Big brothers don't tend to like that. And so you can see this leaping from resentment to murder. Their their hearts are bent towards, we are literally going to kill this kid. And it is only momentary Mercy that makes one of the brothers say, well, let's just throw him in a hole. You know, um, I'll, that'll be bad enough. Judah ultimately is like, well, we should at least make money out of this deal. Let's just go ahead and, and sell him. Now, 
maybe at some point in this long story, you know, we don't have the years of buildup to this. If you'd ask them, hey, are you going to throw Joseph in a hole and sell him into slavery? They would be like, no. Like, he's annoying, but that seems extreme. But that's the way that envy and indeed all sin works. Is you, you get on this subtle sort of conveyor belt where moment to moment you don't even notice the gradation of where sin is taking you. You're not, not realizing how far you've gotten until you reach the terminating point. And you suddenly look around and you realize, actually, yes, uh, throwing him in a hole and selling him to slavery is actually better than what I wanted to do. I really wanted to murder him. And they sell him. And of course, this is an incredible story of God's providence. If you read all the way to the end of Genesis 50, you know that God is also at work here in unseen ways. But that serves as contrast to what Christian community is supposed to look like. If you... I did this this week. If you've won, you can go use BibleGateway.com and just use envy as a search word. And you'll be, if you're like me, you'll be a bit surprised by how often envy specifically is mentioned as being forbidden in a Christian context. That the apostles will actively say again and again, envy has no place in Christian community. I think partly is because of the destructive nature of it, right? This destroys the fabric of relationships. And while church people don't often end up literally murdering one another, you know, metaphorical backstabbing is not unheard of in Christian communities. It's not only fueled by envy, but envy is certainly often in the mix. Envy is poisonous, and dangerous. And we live in a place and a time that is adept in our own particular ways at making virtues out of vices. At saying, actually, this thing is actually good. So a lot of people will use this sort of competitive longing for what others have as the fuel for their own perceived greatness. Plenty of people will use the longing that you and I so naturally feel and leverage it for their own profit. And perhaps you are, you know, one of those rare Americans who is not at all driven by any sort of longing for possessions. More frighteningly for you, there is an enemy of your soul that sees the things that you do long for and is all too persistent in whispering in your ear the justification for why you ought to have what they do. Envy is something that we are all required to actively push against. And at the heart of of envy is an understanding that there is only so much available in the world. There is an inherent competition for every good thing. And I am responsible 
for clawing back every corner of that goodness that I can. There is this mentality of shortage. This is a zero-sum game. They can have it or I can have it. We both cannot have it. And many times, it is a lie. We don't even think about it. We just sort of live in the ecosystem of this mentality. It is the water that the fish swims in and does not recognize that it is swimming in. We just inherently believe that life is about this competition to claw back as much as I can, even at the expense of others. And in Christian community, it is especially dangerous because it is so contrary to the truth that we theoretically believe, we claim to believe, we proclaim that we believe. So you can hear it in this passage in Romans 12 that Paul actually preaches this ethic of community Peace that is an acknowledgement that I will not have everything that everybody else has. He says, those who are gifted with this gift, use it. If you're used with this gift, use it. Use it. Use it. We all have gifts, but you are not the one that has that gift. You are not the one that has that gift. You are not the one that has that gift. You're the one that has this gift. Use it. And that is meant to be enough. The view is that we do not have to be in a competition for resources, for gifts, for honor. We're meant to live in Christian community in such a way that we receive the many gifts of God and are at peace. Because fundamentally we know and we trust that God has been generous with us and what he has chosen to give us is good. And he has not run out of goodness and so left us with this gift. We have not received God's afters, his leftovers, his less thans. He, in the kindness of his character, has seen us as we are and said, I want to give you this because I love you. The antidote to envy is to understand that the Father loves you. So much of the lie of what envy is telling you is that I am not seen for who I really and truly am. And if I was really and truly seen for who I am, I would get this thing that I deserve. And, and instead of turning to God and asking the question, do you see me? Like, am I invisible to you too? There is a sort of turning away from, a turning aside, a looking down, a cutting off of communication with the God of heaven and earth and saying, I will fix this. I will get what I deserve, what everybody would give me if they would see me. But envy dies and a place where the roof is blown off. And you know and you trust the Father sees you particularly in love. 
And he gives you every good gift that he wants to give you. And still, in this, in this scenario, there's still room for you to say, still could use a car that drives. Thank you very much. Jesus is very clear. If you have a need, if you have a longing, you can turn to God and ask him. He says, like, you're terrible fathers. But you know that if your child asks for bread, you don't give him a snake. You don't think God can give better gifts than you? Ask the Father in heaven. This is not a, a self-denial, a, a locking down and pretending that everything is okay. It is instead an orienting yourself repeatedly again and again and again to the generosity of God. And to saying, this seems really hard. I feel unseen. I don't have this thing, this possession, this relationship, this status that I long for. You, Father, are good. In fact, this is part of what Jesus is getting at in his giving us the Lord's Prayer. Would you ask the Father all the time to give you your daily bread? Would you ask the Father to provide for you again and again and again all that you need? And would you trust that his answer to you is on purpose. Do you see how generous the Father is for you? Now, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 37, the brothers are consumed with envy. They are, in fact, rotted out at the bones. The structure of their family is crumbling apart within the story. And they listening to the master that is their envy, give away what God has given as a gift, their brother. And one day, many years later, they will recognize that in fact their brother was a gift to them. Because their brother is actually the one who will save their life and be the conduit of God's mercy to them. They were unable to see him for what he is. But in that moment, they sell him away for a few shekels of silver. When Jesus comes, he will face up to the enemies of your soul. To the world, the flesh, and the devil to the lies and the temptations that the enemy still offers you and I. And he himself will experience Joseph's slavery. He too sold away by the dissatisfied and demanding brother. He will enter into everything that envy would throw at you to poison you and to imprison you and to kill you. And Jesus himself will go into the prison of it that you might be set free so that you would finally be able to see with utmost clarity God is not a stingy God but instead gives to you personally from the riches and wealth of his love. 
you will find no treasure that equals the treasure that you see on this cross. There is nothing that anyone has that is worth the longings of your heart that compares to the God who would see himself crucified to crawl down into your grave, that deep grave from which flows a river, as we say, so that you would be released into the freedom of God's generosity forever. When we see Jesus, we see with certainty the answer to Envy's question, does God see me? And he does. He sees you with absolute clarity in all of your poverty and gives to you the riches of his love. If you are here today and your life has been wrecked by envy, maybe you're envying possessions, maybe you're envying a stage of life, maybe you're envying relationships. I don't know what it is. We find lots of ways to be envious people. And if you are realizing that your bones have been depleted and, and leached out by it, you are, you are not being imprisoned here. You are being released I'm here to proclaim freedom to you. That you don't have to be in the grips of that monster anymore. That you don't have to question your worth based on the things or the status or the relationship. Because God has given you himself. And today, the response to that news is to repent. If you realize that in your heart you have said God has been unfair and unjust to me, God has been blind to my own desires and my true worth, you need to repent. That is a lie. You've been told that lie again and again, and you've been complicit in that lie. You have participated in that lie. You have unknowingly often shaken your fist at God and said, you are not what you say you are. And on the other end of repentance is mercy. Because the Father is generous with you even now. Even now, his love for you is so generous and good. You are invited to come be free in Jesus. And I would ask you, if you have been a part of community that has been wrecked and pulled apart, probably from your own end, by this monster, this vice of envy. Listen to the command of Scripture and make things right. Do not privatize your experience, but instead vocalize to your brothers and sisters and repent to your neighbor that God might form us into a community that reflects his generosity, his love, and his mercy. God sees his people and has so much good for us that our cup overflows. How can we not be generous and overflowing with one another in response to that love? Let me pray for us. Father,
We thank you for your mercy and your kindness towards us. We thank you that you have invited us into a community, into a life of freedom. It's demanding freedom and asks so much of us, but it is the best kind of life. And God, we confess to you that we have been complicit with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have believed lies about our own worth, about our own need to control and to scrape and to scratch together all that we deserve. And instead, we ought to have our eyes thrown to you and seen the generosity of your love. Father, we confess to you that we have often given ourselves over to envy and many other things. And God, I pray that you would help us today. I pray that you would help us be released and truly freed. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a content people, to take joy in what you have given given us, which is more than enough. God, let us be generous with one another, quick to forgive, quick to honor one another, quick to celebrate the gifts, the resources, the status of others. Father, let us be a people that celebrate when we see those things because we are ultimately celebrating your own generosity and love. God, make much of yourself in our lives and in our community that all might see and come find their worth in you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.